just sit in your presence now. Take a few minutes to just be with you there. you, Lord, that you are with us in the flood, that the rivers will not overtake us, and the fires of oppression will not consume us. Thank you that you have called us by name. You know us intimately, Father. Thank you, Lord, for being our Father. Lord, if you have a word or a picture or anything you wish to speak, we're open to hear from you this morning. that says in quietness and trust is our strength. And in this quietness, Father, we just receive your strength for the day and for the time we need.
shall God take you. It's truth from you that I hear in the vessel. Thou shalt not be afraid of the power of man, since the Lord thy God shall go before his face. Prophets in darkness and after the destruction of the wicked's kingdom, a thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy head, but it shall not come near thee. Only as the wind shall I prepare a goodly way for thee. Because thou hast known not the Lord, and shalt not approach with a right hand thy God's altar, there shall no evil befall thee, Neither shall any plague come near thy dwelling. The people who the bone doth strike in the day of testing, my God knoweth, and shall bear thee up, and that hand shall shall not be frightened of him. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the leopard, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou tread in thy midst, because thou hast not sacrificed to him, therefore will I deliver him to the seven in hell. Because he hath known my name, he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life will I call upon him, and show him my salvation. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Psalm 91. And Psalm 91 is one of those crowning pieces of scripture from the Old Testament, from the book of Psalms. And basically what it's saying, really, is that no matter what happens, we're going to make it through. No matter what it is, there's, and the psalmist talks about so many different things in that psalm, but he's saying that we're going to make it through. And making it through is not necessarily through this life in that sense that what is most important because we know Christians have died some have been persecuted some have been killed some have been martyred some have had difficult situations some have died by disease but the thing that is most important is making it over to the other side faith intact believing in Christ holding on to what is most important. And I think that's what I take from Psalm 91, that yes, God is able to deliver us from every single thing that comes. And Psalm 91 is saying that is very much the truth. And we need to believe that and profess that and claim that and, and, and as we walk through especially the world that we're walking in right now. But it's like in the book of Daniel, um, where the three guys being thrown in the furnace said, I know God can deliver me, but even if he doesn't, I'm still going to praise him. I'm still going to trust him. Trust him for what? That he is going to meet us on the other side. So this is the great hope of the faith. The great hope of the faith is not that we come through life without a trouble and without a struggle and without any kind of problems. That is not the great hope of our faith. The great hope of, of our faith is that we come through with our faith and that end up on the other side in front of a God who says, well done, good and faithful servant. There's the, there's the great walk of, of the faith. So Psalm 91 just reminds us again this morning who's in control. Reminds us of where our trust should be in 
that scripture, that song said it, in quietness and trust is your strength. And sometimes running around with our hair on fire and jumping up and down and screaming scriptures into the sky is maybe not what's needed. There is a time for that. Uh, I think I've been there a few times. But the gr- what it's saying is in quietness, that quietness of just being still and saying no matter what, I'm not going to get in the fray. I'm not going to get in the hysteria. I'm not going to get in the fear and the panic. I'm just going to be still and trust that you are God and that will be my strength. It's very counterintuitive because we always feel we should be doing something. We always feel that we should be, you know, doing some great spiritual act to try to counter all that's happening. But sometimes all we have to do is just take a few minutes to be quiet, remember who it is we're trusting, and then that will give us strength to go on. So thank you, Judy, for reading that. I, I did a funeral this week. I just have to mention it. Carl Jeffries, who's been with us for Bill, how long? Over 30 years. He was with New Life Center. And uh, he died last week. And it was, once again, funerals are always, they're one of those moments where truth comes to the surface, whether you like it or not. And as I heard people talk about him and reference him, and what was so evident about him was that he was just a good man who loved his kids, took care of his family, loved people as people get up and talked about him and and said how he would meet them on the street and slip them a dollar, you know, or bring them in, always bringing people into his house and feeding them and and that that kind of a situation. And I said, once again, at the end of our life, it is not going to be our business that we're going to be thinking about. It's not going to be about the great athletic achievements or whatever achievements it's going to be about our relationships with each other and especially the relationship with our family and our closest people that's what's really going to make the difference i've done a lot of funerals over the last four years and no one has gotten up and talked about work you know no one has gotten up and talked about how this person was you know, it's always the stuff that they remember is what was personal, what was heartfelt, that personal relationship. And that's what is going to matter. Uh, it's just something to remember, you know. And, uh, and I said it at the graveside as we were lowering the casket. It was amazing because there were some women there who sang old spirituals, old black spirituals from years ago, and they were singing it as the casket was going down. What a moment. What a moment that was. But I said at the casket, I said, here is not the place that you ask forgiveness from this person. This is not the place you say thank you to this person. This is not the place that you, you go and love because they're dead now. Funerals are for the living. It's for us to remember that, you know what, we should do it before we're in this state um, uh, and situation. It, it really is. Jesus said that thing. He said, listen, if someone has something against you and you're going to the temple to, to be all worshipy and, and praising God and everything, and you know somebody has something against you, he said, stop, leave your gift there, go make it right, and then come to me afterwards. And there's just wise words you know, 
let's take care of those personal relationships first. Make sure that everything is okay there. And then after that, you know, move on. Well, overcoming the world. I don't know what I'm going to say to you today. I have no idea. Um, I had something here, but I don't, <laughs> I don't know where it's going to go. It's all week I was going, Lord, is this? I don't know. Let's, Lord, well, let's just see what it is and see what comes. But uh, Jesus' final conversation with his disciples before he died, um, he said something interesting to them in John 16, 32 to 33. And it, what's interesting is he had just told his disciples, he had just told them that, oh, by the way, guys, uh, you're going to desert me. They're there at the Last Supper. Excuse me. They're there at the Last Supper, and he's saying, and they're all full of salt and vinegar. And uh, he said, oh, by the way, you're all going to desert me. And they just kind of stopped. And he says, a time is coming, and in fact has come, when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone. There is the word for us today. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I don't know what you're going through. I know we're all going through something because it's just the way life is. But we need to remember that our Father is with us. We are not alone. People can desert us. Governments can fail us. Medical science can fail us. God will not fail us. Our Father is with us. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I think one of the great misjustices that maybe we have done in the church in the West is that we have spent the last so many decades talking about the good life and that God wants us to have the good life and wants us to have a happy life and wants us to have a prosperous life. And I understand that to a degree that is true, absolutely. But our idea of what is a prosperous life, I think, has gotten pretty mixed up with the affluence that we've had in the West for the last 80 years. Again, the funeral this week told me what real prosperity is. It's when someone can get up after you've died and say you were a good person. That's prosperity. That is that is meaning, and, and honestly meaning it, and not saying it just to be funeral talk, but, but to actually mean it. And when you can die and have people come up and say that about you, and with tears in their eyes, talking about you, about how good you were and how you affected their life for the positive, that's prosperity. That really is. It's not, it's not what you're leaving behind in the will to all the grandkids. It's going to be what people say. But... So we've really kind of messed that up so that once difficulty does come, and Jesus said it, he said, in this world you will have trouble. That was true, all kinds of it. But we just have been for the last decades pushing our hands against it saying, no, we're not supposed to have trouble. We're supposed to have a better this and a better that and a better this and a bigger this and a more of that. And it's really kind of, I think as the West starts opening up to the struggles that the rest of the world has been living forever, that it's going to be a, a little bit of a tough transition for us to equate the God that we have heard about for the last 30 years, 40, 50, 60 years, and to change it into a God that is saying, you know, you're going to have some trouble. 
But Jesus said some significant things in this. He said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. It's in him that that's the key statement there. But he told them ahead of time that they would desert him. He was telling them that they would desert him to bring them peace. So how is this going to bring them peace? And the way, when you think about it, is that he knew what would happen to them. He knew what was going to happen. That's a powerful thing to understand. One of the commentaries said, when afterward the disciples felt ashamed and remorseful because they deserted Jesus in his time of need, they would be able to recall that he knew about all these things beforehand and was still committed to them, still loved them, and in this knowledge they could have peace in their relationship with him, that God knew what was going to happen. What's interesting is that Jesus was not reprimanding them for it. He was basically saying, guys, you're all going to take off into the woods, um, which is what they did. Um, but he didn't sit there and reprimand them. He just said, it's going to happen. And he wanted them so that they would know afterwards that, oh, my heavens, he knew this was going to happen, and he's still with us, and he's still walking with us, and he's still committed to us. And he knows everything about you and I. The day we came to our faith, he knew everything we were going to do. He knew everything that was going to happen. He knew everything that was going to come. And he still came down and said, I want you. I want you. And I want you. It's an amazing thing. And it's very hard sometimes for us because we see, <laughs> we see the real us, right? We, we know the real us. And very often... And sometimes we see the really bad us. Circumstances will come that will just cause us to see some deep and dark stuff about ourselves. And we just go, this is so opposite to what a Christian should be. And at that time, you know, it's hard to think that God is with us. Because we have a human idea of love. We believe that love comes to us when we behave properly. When we don't behave properly, it's taken from us. That is not the godly principle at all. It's actually quite the opposite. And it's just so nice to know that in those times, God is still with us and he still sees us and he's still loving us and his love is not diminished in us. It has not been taken away. And I think fundamentally that is probably the greatest. That's the crossroads of the faith is when we hit hard times, when we make big mistakes, when we aren't what we should be, when we're not where we should be and doing what we should be, to still be able to hold on to the fact that God is with us. This is the great, the great fight of the faith. This is the thing that we will need to hold on to the most, especially as life gets more difficult and we see things happening in ways that we never thought they would happen. But Jesus is with us and he sees us. I, I love this. Jesus saw Nathaniel before he actually was in front of Jesus. John 1.48, Nathanael is one of the disciples. And Jesus is saying to Nathanael that he knows about him. And Nathanael says, how do you know about me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Now that was a strong enough experience because he was over sitting underneath a fig tree. And Jesus said, oh, no, 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 I saw you. I saw you. And that, I, that sense of being seen by God, that sense of being known by God, 
was strong enough that it made Nathanael say this. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. (laughs) I wish that's all it took, but apparently that's all it took for him because he felt seen. He felt that God was seeing him. And this is a powerful thing. It's really necessary. And God's aware that you need to know that you're being seen. We need to know that. If we think we're just another one of the sheep being pushed along along the path of life, we will eventually stop. We need to know that we are being seen, that we are individuals before God, that he's... the old-fashioned standby the battery must have run out but so in here we're really seeing that God is saying that he sees us that God sees you not just as one of thousands but as an individual there's a wonderful story in the Bible about Hagar someone who is seen by God and Hagar was the maid of Sarah who was the wife of Abraham. Abraham is the father of our faith, way back in the Old Testament, father of the Jewish faith, the Christian faith, and Islam. And Abraham is 75 years old when he gets the promise from God that he's going to be a great nation. So he's 75 years old, and he gets this promise. There's going to be, through your children, there's going to be a great nation. Ten years later, no children. Boy, we got to remember this story. So Sarah, his wife, decides to fix the issue herself, and she gives Hagar, her maid, to Abraham to marry her and then have children through her. That was not God's plan. That's not what God said. Out of it, Ishmael was born. And Ishmael would go on, nonetheless, because he was born from Abraham. He had the blessing on him, and he... And he went on to become the uh, 12 nations, what we know now as the Arab world. Not all of the Arab world, but a certain part of the Arab world are descendants from Ishmael. And what's interesting about that is the prophecy over those children, God said that they would be always in conflict with their brothers, with each other. They would always be in conflict. And when you look back, I can remember... uh, watching a documentary about when the Arab world came against Israel in 1948 and then later on, one of the things that really was for the benefit of Israel is that the Arab nations could never really truly unite as one. They were always fighting with each other. And if that 600 million army that was arrayed against Israel in 1948 would have actually agreed and everything would have worked together, probably, I don't know what would have happened. But it worked for Israel's favor there, and also God intervened miraculously, but, that, but the Arab world would always be fighting with each other. 
But anyway, it would be another 15 years before Isaac is born through Sarah. And Abraham's almost 100 years old by that time. But when Hagar got pregnant, Sarah is jealous of her, and she mistreats her and kicks her out. Genesis 16, 7-9 says this, The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur, because Sarah got jealous because Hagar was pregnant, and she said, what have I done? And she just, so she started to mistreat her. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarah's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And it goes on to say in verse 11, and the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears, for the Lord has heard your cry of distress. And I was thinking about that. What possibly could have given Hagar the sense and strength and determination to go back into that situation? And it was, and it, it answers it in 1613. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. When we are seen by God, when we are truly know that we are seen by God, it's going to give us strength to do incredible things. To know that God hears your thoughts and sees you. Jesus said to his disciples, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. The idea that Jesus was trying to let them know, I see you. I know what you're going to do and I'm with you anyway. And I guess there's a, there's a whole lot of understanding of forgiveness in this that we have to give ourselves. We have to understand that we are forgiven. We have to understand that God is not waiting to find out what we've done wrong and to point it out to us and to get us to do some kind of penance for it. Uh, I came up in a faith as a child that you went and you confessed your sins and then you had to go and do penance. You had to they would tell you what you had to do in order to, you know, pay the price for that, that sin that you've confessed to. And that's just not the way it works with God. Uh, God is saying that he forgives us. He sees who we are. He knows who we are. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And as much as I would like to feel embarrassed in front of God and even try to push myself away from God because I don't feel I'm worthy, that is not God's way. He knew before he called us everything about us. I have told you this, all this, so that you may have peace in me. Paul talks about this peace in Romans 8, 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And basically what Paul is saying there is if we spend our time thinking about where we failed, what is wrong with us, what is not right with us, what should have, why should have done, could have done, would have done. If we spend our mind on that, it is going to bring death. It'll bring guilt, condemnation, accusation, and we will fall right into the hands of the enemy. But God is saying that we should be giving our mind to the spirit, and the spirit is telling us that God sees us, that God knows what's coming. He knows all the trials. He knows all the sorrows. 
and that he is with us in them and he will not leave us nor forsake us. It's a pretty, it's a simple message, but we have to keep on looking in the spirit, especially as the world goes the way it's going. We need to be listening to God and say, Father, what are you saying? I know what the news is saying. I know what even my soul is saying. I know what my mind and, and stuff is saying, but what are you saying? And being in the spirit and knowing that God saw it all before it ever happened. COVID did not catch God by surprise. It certainly caught us by surprise, but it did not catch God by surprise. So we really need to, in this time, as things are changing and in our, in our own life, we have to trust and believe that we are a people who God sees. He knows exactly what you're feeling. He knows that struggle. He knows that joy. He knows that dream. He knows that desire. He knows that want. He knows that remorse. He knows that fear. He knows all of it. And he's saying that he is with us in it. John 14, 18, finally. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. This is what he said to his disciples. And we're living in a time where people are looking, you know, and I'm, I'm finished pretty well with the talk, but we're living in a time where people are really looking for someone to save them, looking for someone to help them. This latest manifestation of uh, COVID, Omicron, has really made a mockery out of us all, out of the politicians, out of the medical, everything, everything we thought. Remember the days when we thought once you had the vaccine, we we're all going to skip the loo back to the beach and everything was going to be great? Well, that didn't turn out so great. Um, and so here we are once again in a situation. Uh, my wife said it to me the other day. She said, it's out of control. <laughs> she was like, it's out of control. The government doesn't know what to do. The, f the medical staff don't know what to do anymore. It's just really playing havoc with everything we throw at it to try to stop it. And it does really, it has really done uh, something that is quite unique. It is shown that man does not have the answers. It is shown that there are things that we just cannot control as much as we try. And hopefully it's a time where we, we look at our lives and say, who can we trust in at this point? And we trust in God, that God's going to, like Psalm 91 says, it's gonna, he's going to make a way through it. He's going to somehow get us through this, somehow go up, down, around, and over. And that we're going to somehow get through whatever this is that is happening to the world right now. And this is the great hope of the faith, again. That we can say, okay. I mean, it is interesting to know that you can say, well, if I get COVID, I'll do everything I'm supposed to do. And when we're called to do that, do whatever you're supposed to do and do the social distancing, get the vaccines and all that stuff. Do whatever, you know, you feel is the right thing to do. Um, but after that, you just kind of go, thy will be done, Lord. And if you get COVID and it takes you home, then it takes you home. I don't think any, I don't think Carl is up there saying, gee, I wish I could have one more day on earth. I can tell you that. He's quite happy where he is right now and would not want to come back to here. All those people who've had near-death experiences, they're all saying the same thing. I don't want to come back. And then there's always God saying, no, you have to come back, or there's some reason you have to come back, and they, they have to come back to the walk that they're walking. But 
Worst case scenario, God takes us home. But nonetheless, we trust God to get us through and that he has the answer either way. So, Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for what you're saying to us. We thank you that you are the God who sees us. And that, Father, we are not just some indiscriminate statistic on a sheet somewhere. We're not a number. We are a person who you created by your own design. You know everything about us. And you are invested in our future. You are invested in every part of us. So, Father, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jerry. Yeah, I mean, we really do need to uh, work at staying together. Um, if if w if the church is missing it, um, I don't know how they could. But um, as I said at the beginning, with each lockdown, less people come back to church. It's not just here; it's it's in most of the churches. Um, and it really, I was talking to a pastor this week who was trying to figure out how, how, how do we do church? How do we keep it cohesive? How do we, and, and obviously the Sunday event for church is not what's going to do it. It's not going to do it. Um, and so we have to make sure that we as individuals are connecting with each other. Uh, the church started at the beginning in small chunks. And I know when it first started in Jerusalem, they all met. There were thousands coming to the Lord. They were meeting in the temple, and everything seemed wonderful, and they were helping each other. But they were also meeting in homes and having small gatherings, informal gatherings. And I, to be honest, and then, of course, 
Stephen was martyred and the persecution started and then God really threw the church into chunks and pieces all over the empire. But we really, I think that's where the church is going back to. It's going back to a time of small groups that get together and, and work the faith that way. And we have, again, over the past decades, have been taught that church is the big Sunday event. It's this big multi-thousand person event. But in actuality, it seems like God is allowing circumstances to come that's forcing us into small groups again. Uh, whether it be the people you know or whatever, but it's so important that we keep gathering together in smaller groups. Uh, I think about it all the time. I don't know how God's going to work that out, but it does need to go back to that. Because I don't, we're not done with COVID, uh, I, and who knows what else is coming that's going to disrupt the gathering of people together. So it's you're very right, Jerry. There's all kinds of people that are ripping the church down and people complaining and within the church. We have to be so careful that we just love each other and use the patience, long-suffering, forgiveness that God gave us. God gave us those attributes of long-suffering and the gifts of, of, of the Spirit, uh, patience and endurance. He, he gave us that so that we would be able to live together. It's not just so that we could, you know, uh, forgive something that's happening out in the street or something that happens at work. It's good to have it there too. But really the love and grace and mercy of God and the long suffering and forgiveness is so that when we are seriously hurt by somebody, seriously wounded by somebody, seriously, you know, someone says or does something that within the body that really bothers us, you don't just leave. That's the easy way. That's the easy way to do that. And we've seen it hundreds of times, hundreds of times in the church. Certainly in my years, 40 some odd years of being in the faith, how many people get miffed, they get upset, they get offended. First thing they do is leave. And it's always God's leading them out. They always say God's leading them out. And sometimes that might be true. But for the most part, what it is, is a way of hurting back, right? I'm leaving, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you and I'm going <laughs> to leave, right? And it just doesn't do anything for the body. But when we start forgiving each other and loving each other and having frank conversations in love but also truth and honesty, then you'll build a relationship. That's a rela When you do that kind of stuff, when you start going to somebody and saying, uh, you either have offended me, and, and but not with trying to pin them against the wall, but going and saying, you know, that really hurt me. And you have a conversation about that and mix that with love and forgiveness, you will create a relationship that nothing can break. And also if someone comes to you and you can receive it and you can receive that and say, you know what, you're right, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Even, even if it was something that you didn't even have that intention and that wasn't, don't defend yourself. Just say, I'm sorry, because they live by how they perceive. And we have to respond as they perceive. And do it in love and create relationship. Oh, nothing will, nothing will break that once you've done that a few times. That's a powerful relationship. And, so, and it's true, because if you see marriage counseling, that's exactly what marriage counseling, marriage is not about putting everything underneath the rug. 
because eventually there gets to be such a mound under that rug that you start tripping over it. You start tripping over that rug, and then you lift it up, and boom, there's an explosion. But you're right, Terry, it's a, it's a powerful word for the church right now, all churches, that we stop picking sides and, and stop picking fault and all that stuff and start walking in love and forgiveness, realizing we need each other. We really do. So, anything else? Let's uh, take up an offering. And for those at home, Liz will put up the slide and uh, you can uh, give on the ways that are shown on the slide. You can tell, you can tell, something's not right. You know, you, when the body's not all together, you just go, something's not right. Something is just not right, but it is what it is, you know. God is good. Father, we thank you for being here with us today. And as we go, Lord, let us go knowing that you see us, knowing that you're with us, knowing that you know what this week is going to bring. So, Father, we trust that you are with us in it and that you have a design and a purpose through it all. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.